Well, good morning, church. If you would, please open your Bibles and meet the book of Exodus this morning, Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, as we continue a series that we started several weeks ago called Never Ending, How God's Story Changes Yours, Exodus chapter 3. I want to talk to you this morning about the important point that God is able. If someone is able, it means they have the necessary power and skill and resources to accomplish something. And frankly, you and I, as humanity, made in the image of God, we've been able to accomplish several incredible things. For instance, we've been able to domesticate fire. We've created the wheel and writing and music and photography. We've had the ability to see the development of technology via radio and TV and smartphones and the internet. We've been able to study the complexities of the human genome. We've been able to scale the highest heights and climb Mount Everest. We've been able to literally master flight. We've put people on the moon. But even something more humbling of all those achievements is that they were all done by a finite man. How much more could an infinite God do? So if man has the necessary power, skill, and resources to accomplish something, an infinite God has the necessary power, skills, and resources to accomplish anything in your life. And so that is why through even this study of never ending, I've reminded you that God and God alone has the potential to create something from nothing. God can free you from what enslaves you. As we study the text in Exodus 3, it is my prayer, just as Paul had the same prayer to the Christians at Ephesus in Ephesians 3.20, that you would realize that God is able, therefore, now to him who is able to do abundantly more than what we can ask or think, according to the power that's within us, may God do that among his people right here. God is faithful to be able, do we have enough faith to be willing? God is able. With that in mind, why don't we study in depthly this morning, verses 1 through 4, verse 10, and verses 14 and 15 of Exodus chapter 3. With that in mind, your Bible says this, now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. (laughs) What? And Moses said, I will turn aside to this great sight why this bush has not been burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And then he said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place in which you stand is holy ground. Now, where Genesis is the collection of the will and plan of God through several individuals. The book of Exodus is the collection of the plan and purpose of God through one by the name of Moses. Moses is God's chosen representative to deliver God's people. Moses. Not a warrior, not a statesman, not a king, not even Charlton Heston, but a shepherd. Now, interestingly enough, before Exodus 3, God's people in the beginning of Exodus were fruitful and increasing and thriving in fulfillment of God's plan and God's blessing. But tragically, according to Exodus 1.8, things go terribly wrong. 
as God's people are overtaken by Pharaoh and are for hundreds of years enduring enslavement, bondage, and defeat. And in Exodus 3, you have here God's answer. God says, enough. No more bondage. No more enslavement. No more defeat. Victory will be mine. Not because you are capable, but because I and I alone as God am able. I have the necessary power and skills and resources to accomplish anything in your life. And thus, I'm going to send this lowly, lonesome shepherd on the west side of Horeb in Midian to come deliver and provide victory for my people. Because I am able. With that in mind, look at Exodus 3, 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. Moses was born to a Levite woman, but named and reared by Pharaoh's daughter himself. In fact, the name Moses means one who draws out of. It is incredibly apropos of Moses' entire life. That before Moses could even really begin to think or speak or act, God so aptly named him who he was because of what he was going to do in and through Moses. Moses, you're going to draw my people out of bondage. Now Moses grew up in Egypt. And for those of you who know your history, you know that it was the ancient Egyptians who were at the pinnacle of all society among civilizations. For instance, did you realize that it was the Egyptians who had a tremendous perception of one's self-image and hygiene? It was the Egyptians who created the mirror, toothbrushes, and toothpaste. And everyone who has kids under the age of 10 said, thank you, right? It was the Egyptians who used such ingenuity to create language and writing in black ink and papyrus sheets to write words and thus stories and thus language. It was the Egyptians who were the foremost developers of agriculture, for they were the first civilization to have ox-drawn plows and irrigation. It would be the Egyptians who literally speared innovation through architecture, through pyramids and monuments. It would be the Egyptians that would create mathematics and geometry, surveying, accounting, and astronomy. And according to most historians, it was the Egyptians who were the creator of cheese. So for those of us who love pizza with extra cheese and bacon cheeseburgers and cheese fries, we say, thank you, right? It is this culture that Moses was raised and reared. Moses grew up in an education under the Egyptian monarchy. He would learn from the greatest scholars of the land, linguistics and mathematics and astronomy and architecture, music, medicine, law, and the art of diplomacy. It would be this setting that actually, according to Exodus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15, that Moses would flee to the remote side of a hill near Horeb, a place called Midian, because he would intervene and thus kill a man while trying to protect a Hebrew slave. Now, the Bible says in Exodus 2, verse 15, that Pharaoh himself found out about this and desired to kill Moses. And so now 40 years later, in Exodus chapter 3, we find Moses at the age of 80 on the backside of the desert in a desolate place on the wrong side of his dreams, unclear about himself and working continuously as a lonesome, 
lonely shepherd. Now, here's the irony. According to Genesis chapter 46, verse 34, the Egyptians actually found shepherds detestable. Yet here you have Moses at the lowest point of his life, overseeing his father-in-law's inheritance and thus flock. To make matters worse, he didn't even own them. And so in 40 years, he's gone from this beautiful baby to this pampered prince to a lonely, humble, and meek shepherd. Moses went from being over the peeps to now counting sheep. That's where we are in Exodus 3.1. Moses, though a man of promise, and thus destiny is hiding, is searching for answers for how in the world he got to this place. He is comfortable and he is content And he is literally turning his back on the very calling and destiny that God has on his life. And I can't help but think thousands of years removed from this text that we, even in this room, could do the same. That we could have profound education. That we could have an incredible upbringing. Endless potential. But yet many of us are hiding on the west side of our destiny and calling before the Lord. Comfort is one of the greatest dangers to you following the will and plan of God for your life. Now notice I didn't say contentment. What I am saying is comfort. There should be a stirring, a yearning in your life for more, for something else and the someone else greater. Because God and God alone is greater. And thus, God's people are comfortable being uncomfortable just by nature and and God sanctifying us and setting us apart with his word to his will. We're just naturally comfortable being uncomfortable. I was two or three weeks ago hanging out at Almighty. It's a recreational ministry of our church. And we're finishing basketball this coming week. Some of us say praise the Lord in the room. But we have 550 kids playing basketball right now all across the city. We have 300 kids in gymnastics. 80% of that group does not go to church anywhere. No church home whatsoever. And they're bringing their kids to our campuses twice a week. Hey, we've got soccer signups right now. Jump in. It's lots of fun. Well, two or three weeks ago, I'm hanging out, and I've been privileged since I've been here to do these video devotionals. Man, it's just one minute, you know, minute and a half, and I'm developing this reputation on the weekends as the video guy. So I I show up and drop my kids off, and they play basketball, and it's like, hey, man, you're the video guy. Hey, video guy, what's up? Fist pound, video guy, those sorts of things. So two or three weeks ago, I show up, and this guy walks in, he's like, man, I know you. He said, where do I know you from? He's like, man, I know your face. And literally, the Lord, in a sense of humor, the screen starts going down while he's asking me this. So I just kind of point up. And he watches this testimony, this devotion. And I'm sitting there like, well, this is awkward, Lord. Like, I'm literally standing next to a man who 
didn't know who I was while watching a video identifying who I was while I'm still standing next to him. I mean, this is so uncomfortable. This is so awkward. So then once it's done, he turns to me and says, hey, man, that was great. What do you do for a living? Once again, this is uncomfortable, Lord. And so I tell him, well, I'm actually, I'm pastor of this church. You are? I said, yeah, man, come hang out with us. 9, 15, 10, 45, let's go. My point is, is that I'm just getting used, just as you are, to being comfortable being uncomfortable. I mean, think about this. What is it in your life right now that God is stretching you in? What is it in your prayer life and in your relationships and in your routines that if you're not careful, instead of living by faith, that really you're living by sight? There are no surprises. Everything's safe. Everything is content. And can I tell you, you're in the most dangerous spot in your walk with the Lord. Danger. What is it that God is calling and asking you to do? And so instead of praying for your family and their health and for the blessing of the day, there's nothing wrong with those things. But you'll find the more and more you pray to the Lord, you'll find that you don't ask too much, you ask too little. Where are the bold, audacious prayers? Where are the prayers that change the world? Whose life will forever be changed tomorrow because you prayed for them today? Whose life will never be the same because you, by faith, said, God, move in this person. God, show up. Allow me to have the strength to say and to speak and to point people to Jesus. Which, by the way, what about your relationships right now? I mean, who in your relationship world is stretching you? Who in the world is putting you on your knees? Or do you have just your little tribe and your little circle of friends? Like I said, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. What I'm saying is that you and I are people of faith, not sight. Thus, we are comfortable being uncomfortable. Moses right now, he's at the farthest place from the will and desire of the Lord. He's on the west side of the wilderness. He might as well be in Mountain View, Godibo, right? I mean, who in the world has ever heard of this place? If we're not careful, we'll have the same relationships as he did. What about in your routines? What is it in your week that allows you to use your gifts to stretch your faith, to bring more glory to the Lord? And so you have here Moses, who is comfortable, content, wandering aimlessly on the west side of the wilderness, and then suddenly... God shows up. Look at verse 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. Now, I'll remind you, notice Moses is not praying, fasting, or meditating. In fact, his sheep are grazing when the Lord appears. Now, who in the world is this? And the angel of the Lord appeared to him. Did you realize that this title appears 67 times in the Old Testament, but only right here in the book of Exodus. It's very significant. It is literally here in the Hebrew, the angel that is Yahweh. It refers to the unique messenger of God who directly speaks for God and is identified as God. Theologically, we call this a theophany. It is an appearance of God not to a king, not to a statesman, not to Charleston Heston, 
to a lonely, lonesome shepherd. And notice, he appears in a flame of fire out in the midst of a bush. Now, fire is a sign of God's presence in Exodus. In fact, three separate times, right? Here, he appears by fire to Moses. In Exodus 13, verse 21, God appears as a pillar of fire and leading the Israelites through the wilderness. In Exodus chapter 19, verse 18, God will descend in fire at Sinai when he reveals his law. And he says to Moses in verse 4, And when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Now, two amazing things about this. Number one, God has not revealed himself up until Exodus 3, 4 for 400 years. God, the father of Abraham and Isaac, And Jacob has been silenced for generations unto generations. Men of God, women of God, families of God have come and gone and have not heard from the Lord. And now God speaks. And notice, secondly, he knows Moses' name. Moses is in the most remote part of the universe. He is intentionally hiding from his calling and destiny. And even he couldn't hide from God. Moses, Moses, the same God who made the heavens and the earth, the same God that put the complexities of the human genome The same God who beautifully made the mountains and the streams and the animals that you and I enjoy knows your name. Regardless, if you're close to him or far from him, he knows your name. Have you ever thought about how amazing it is that people can hear your name and Remember your name and thus know your name. It, it just changes the conversation, does it not? Ben and I and our family last night, well, we were hanging out at the Baptist Village, just right over here. And we were hanging out with our senior adults. And man, those are my peeps over there, right? I mean, you get chicken and chocolate and those people, look out. That things happen. And so from that, we were hanging out and there was this lady that came up. and She had a name tag on. And I said, hi. And I said her name. And she just, you know my name. How do you know my name? You've only met me one time. And so she started gathering people all around her. He knew my name. Can you believe he knew my name? And of course, her husband can kind of see where this is going. And so he's walking across the room here. And he knew, honey, he knew my name. And he points at her name tag. <laughs> the room changed because I knew this woman's name. How much more could God do in your life? Knowing that in times of blessing, in times of strife, in times of joy and despair, God knows your name. And he calls to you like he does to Moses. Moses! Moses! Did you realize that addressing someone twice by their name in a Semitic culture would have been an address of endearment 
and affection. Moses would have known immediately that he was being addressed by someone who knew him and loved him, which means God knew you before you ever found him. In the same way as God affectionately and endearingly calls out to Moses, he can call out to you. Because, church, even though God is silent, it does not mean that he is absent. In fact, I'll remind you a greater point. That God is at work even when nothing seems to be working. There is no logical explanation for this at all. There's no reason under the universe that God would ever have chose Moses. Not just for his 40 years of training, but now his 40 years of derelict, of responsibility and absence. You see, God chooses Moses and reminds us an important point. That it is God is the one who pursues us. God is the missionary. God is the one always at work in ways that we can't possibly imagine. And even though it seems like nothing is working, God is at work. And he is able to take his power and his skills and his resources to accomplish not just something in our lives, but anything. God is able. So what is it this morning that you're holding on to? What is it this morning that you're striving for an answer for? What is it that you literally just can't stop thinking about? Stop thinking and start working. Allow God to work on you by allowing him to work in you. And let him have his perfect work, for God is able. And so God's going to come to Moses on the west side of the mountains near Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. And he's going to tell him, Moses, take your sandals off, for the place that you're standing is on holy ground. And I have heard the cries of my people. I've seen their bondage, and I'm coming to deliver them, Moses. And I'm going to send you to Pharaoh, and you're going to go, and you're going to tell him to let my people go. And I'm going to lead them, Moses, through you to the land of milk and honey. I'm headed to Brahms, Moses. And I'm going to be with you, for I am God. I'm the God of your father Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. And notice Moses' response in verse 11. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Moses knew he wasn't suitable for the task God was asking him to do in verses 7 through 10. Now, I'll tell you, historically, he had every reason to be hesitant. Most scholars date the Exodus at 1446 B.C., which means then that a man by the name of Amenhotep II was Pharaoh of Egypt. You say, well, what's the significance of that? Simply this. 
Omenhotep II was without equal as a ruler, warrior, military tactician, horseman, runner, and archer among Egypt. The pinnacle of all society. The civilization of all civilizations. And this man, Omenhotep II, was the best of all of them. It would be like asking you to go against a ruler greater than Darth Vader, a warrior more ninja savvy than Chuck Norris, Oklahoma shout out, more brilliantly strategist and tactician in regard to military than General Patton, more apt in horseman than Secretariat, more fleet of foot than Usain Bolt, and a greater archer more pristine than Hawkeye. Who's the greatest archer of all time, according to the Avengers series? Now, to our 915 service, I had to contextualize this a little bit more because I didn't know who this guy was. And so I, I needed someone cooler than Robin Hood, so I chose this guy. In thinking about it, if, if Barney Fife went to Omeno Hip 2 and said, nip it, nip it, nip it, the guy just been like, I'm done. Take, take whatever you want. Take your people. Take your stuff, take our cheese, and get out of here, right? <laughs> Moses, instead of saying, here I am, send me, simply gives God five please in Exodus 3 and 4. Lord, who am I to do this? Verse 11 in Exodus 3. What is your name that I may tell people who sent me? Exodus 3, verse 13. How will the people believe that you have sent me? Exodus 4, 1. I'm not eloquent. I'm slow of speech in Exodus 4, 10. Finally, he just says in Exodus 4, verse 13, please send someone else. Like, I have a root canal, or, or hopefully you'll give me a root canal so I don't have to go. That's the point. Exodus 3 is clear. The Exodus is not about who Moses was, but who God is. God wasn't asking Moses to be Superman, but a faithful man. And that's what he's going to tell Moses in verse 12. Moses, I will be with you. And thus God does not tolerate excuses for whom he uses. God is able. He has the necessary power and skills and resources to accomplish not just something, but anything in your life. Thus, be encouraged. Because God wouldn't ask you if you weren't up to the task. Through God. For he and he alone is able to do abundantly more to the power and the skills and the resources that he has given you than you can possibly imagine. And can I tell you, historically, it's always been like this. I remember this great quote by Hudson Taylor, who was a, a missionary to China for 51 years. In 51 years, Hudson Taylor would train and develop and multiply 800 missionaries, 80,000 salvations. And Hudson Taylor would say this, 
All of God's giants have been weak men who did great things for God because they reckoned on God being with them. So what is it that God is asking you to do? Write it down. Be a man. Be a woman. Be a student of faith. Now remind yourself that God is able and that God is with you. And so if God is asking you to do it, and if God is able to give you the power and the skills and the resources to accomplish it, and he's going to be with you, then what can't you do for the Lord? You see, the only fear the faithful of God should have is being unfaithful to God. With the talent in this room, with the favor in this room, with the experience and life stages that God has so graciously brought you through in this room, the only fear among God's people should be, am I being faithful or unfaithful to God? For God is able. This is not about who Moses was. It's about who God is. Your life is not about who you were, but who God is in and through you. You say, well, who's God? Look at verses 14 and 15. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. And God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, that the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. For this is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Moses, you tell Pharaoh and my people, I am who I am. Moses was not to tell God's people the name of a new God, but the name of the true God. It is shockingly in the Hebrew, I am he who is. God uses his revered, dynamic, divine name, Yahweh. And it's mentioned 6,800 separate times in the Old Testament. God in God alone is eternal and uncreated, and unchanging, and self-existent. A God who will keep his promises and protect and provide for his people, now and always. He is not a generic, impersonal deity, but rather he is the one true God. I am he who is. God is eternal. There was no beginning for him. There was a time when there was only the triune God in his glory. God is uncreated. He has no master, only followers. God is unchanging. He's immutable in his character. Thus, he is true. For without him, there is no reality. You and I conform to God's reality. God does not conform to our reality. God is self-existent. He depends on nothing and no one, for he is God. And thus, he is eternally faithful to keep 
his promises and to protect and provide for his people. Moses, you tell Pharaoh, I am who I am sent you. God's person is timeless. And God's presence is timely. God is above, transcendent, always in control. Yet his presence is timely. He is always eternally sufficient and benevolent towards our good, thus his glory. Therefore, life is not about who we think we are or what we can accomplish, but who God says we are and what God promises to accomplish through his people. God, as a result of who he is, will always be faithful to his people. He will always be everything and more for what his people need of him at any given moment in any given place. Because God and God alone is the creator and sustainer of all that exists. And just as God delivers his people from 400 years of enslavement and bondage, think about that for a minute. If they could have done it, wouldn't they would have already been freed? If they had all the talent and all the ingenuity and the sheer force of numbers to free themselves, they would have already done it. But they couldn't. They were stuck in their bondage and enslavement. And thus God will send, not a king, not a statesman, but a lonely, loathsome shepherd to deliver his people, to defeat an undefeated Pharaoh, to, as a sign of God's power, part the Red Sea in Exodus 14. Why? Because God is. I am who he is. And the same God that was with Moses and his people can be with you. God can provide grace and mercy and forgiveness and love and empowerment and guidance to his people when in accordance to his goodness and his purpose. He's unfathomable in his riches towards us. You want to know something else even more amazing? God cannot be totally comprehended, but he can be genuinely known. God has made himself revealed through his word and through his son. And just as Exodus reminds us that God will send someone on his behalf to save and give life to his people, God would send his son, Jesus Christ, the greater Moses, the I am, who will be a mediator before a holy God to a sinful people. And it will be God himself through Jesus Christ that will secure our deliverance from the bondage of sin through faith in him. Now don't take my word for it. Take Jesus' word. Jesus in John 8 verse 58 is talking and preaching to a crowd. And he tells them before Abraham was, I am. They're stunned in their silence because they knew exactly what Jesus was saying. 
Just as God said in Exodus 3, verse 14, I am who I am, Jesus says, I am he who is. And thus seven separate times in the Gospel of John, Jesus reminds his people, you who need sustenance, strength, and life, I am the bread of life in John 6.35. For you who are stuck in darkness, wondering where there is hope and meaning, I am the light of the world, John 8.12. For those who literally are waiting for this path and fulfillment in your life, you know there's something more. Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 7, I am the door. For those who desire to be reminded that God is in you and for you and with you, and thus all of life is to be about God, God graciously says through Jesus Christ in John 10, verses 11 through 14, I am the good shepherd. For those who are sick of merely existing wondrously through life, day by day, week by week, month by month, the same thing over and over and over again. Jesus says in John 11, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus would tell his disciples in literally his last meal with them in John 15, needing encouragement, needing to be reminded that all that they're doing was not in vain. Tells him in John 15, verse 5, I am the true vine. You are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But with me, you can bear much fruit. Now, that's six I am statements. Let me give you another one to close. You see, Jesus says in John 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus is God himself. I am, he says. When Jesus speaks, it is God speaking. When Jesus acts, it is God's actions. And Jesus Christ, as the God-man, complete in his deity, perfect in his humanity, is the sole essence and ultimate source of eternal life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Literally here, I am the true and living way. Because I am truth, I am life. And no one goes to the Father except through me. Just as in Exodus 3, God's people were given a choice to follow God's servant in Moses and have life and deliverance and freedom. Or you can stay here and die. Jesus comes and says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In Exodus 3, there is no other choice. There's no other way. God must do this through Moses and to provide for his people. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, the question before God should not be, why is there just one way? But how could there be any way at all? But God being gracious and slow to anger and kind and forgiving knew it was impossible for you to work our way to God. 
And so he came for you. And thus, the announcement of the gospel is not a charge for you to do something else or to try harder, but that Christ has done everything necessary to give access to God. No one comes to the Father except through me. This truth is the theme of all of Scripture. God is faithful to be able. Do we have enough faith to be willing? To believe in Jesus today is to have God in heaven forever. And despite what you brought into this room, despite your struggles and frustrations with where you are in your life, God can meet you right now and right here. And if you will surrender your way to his plan, and if you will surrender your past to his future, and you will give your life completely to God's son, then literally right now, God and heaven are yours forever. For God is able to take his power and skills and resources to accomplish not just something, but anything in your life. And for those of you who do know Christ, you have the power of God himself through the Holy Spirit in you, waiting to work through you. So what is it that God's calling you to do? What is it that God's asking you to trust him in that he'll only get the glory for? As you run out of here and do life, may he remind yourself that God is able. He has the necessary power and skills and resources to accomplish anything in my life. Now and forever. For God is able.